Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I am very impressed and proud that you are here with the snow. And I did want to welcome Sanctuary North. There was a parking ban this morning, and they had to cancel. I'm really happy that you guys are here, so welcome. Um, we are a family of two neighborhood churches right now, and Sanctuary North is our other church. So, um, so those of you who worship at this parish regularly, Down City, might remember this moment. Is it up there? Yes. This was a few weeks ago. This happened right here up on the stage. This is my friend Sray, just a few moments after she was baptized. It's a beautiful picture coming up out of the water. She was baptized. I first met Sray in October at a retreat in New Hampshire hosted by InterVarsity, which is the college ministry that I used to work for. And Sray was at this retreat because her friend had a dream about her. And based on that dream, this friend felt like Sray really needs to be at this retreat. Sray did not have any Christian background, but she came because her friend invited her. And as she began to experience the weekend, listen to this amazing speaker, engage worship, something began to stir in her heart. And I had the chance to talk to Sray several different times throughout the weekend. And about 90% of the time that we spent talking, Sray was in tears, just like crying. Now, I did not know her, and so when I'm talking to someone I don't really know very well, and they're crying, and I don't really know why they're crying, so it's not like she's pouring out her life pain to me. It's like I'm telling her about Jesus, and she's crying. I kind of want to figure out what's going on. Like, it's not something that I said or you don't just like hate this conversation so much, you wish I would leave you alone, like what's going on? So I asked her, Sray, can you tell me why you're crying? Like, are these happy tears or sad tears? Are you okay? Just a little caveat, by the way, I have Sray's permission to tell this story. If you have a tearful conversation with me, it's not going to end up in a sermon without your permission. So the classic thing, by the way, for pastors is to use their children in sermon illustrations without their permission and when I was a kid, my dad is a pastor. Um, not only would he ask our permission, he would pay us 25 cents per mention. <laughs> so based on that, I owe my children a few bucks. But anyway, so Sray, why is Sray crying? She didn't know. She's like, I don't know. I just keep crying. I don't know why I'm crying. And that's when a light bulb went on in my head. And I was like, oh, Sray, I know why you're crying. This might sound really weird to you, but I think you are encountering the Holy Spirit. You don't know God, so you actually might not recognize that this is him, but I recognize it. The Holy Spirit often speaks through our emotions, and I think he's encountering you. I think he's pursuing you. And the question is, do you want to know him? Do you want to know him? Will you be open to the possibility that he's real? Will you begin to look for him this weekend? Because if those things are true, if you open yourself to him, if you look for him, I promise you he will be found by you this weekend. And that is what happened. Sray opened herself to the possibility that God was real. She began to look for God. The more she looked for him, the more he showed himself to her. She actually prayed really specifically God, if you're real, would you help me to know? Would you help me to see you? And that's what happened. And by the end of the weekend, God had revealed so much of himself to her that she surrendered her life to Jesus. And then she was baptized here a few weeks after that. Yeah. <clears throat> so fast forward a few weeks after I 
Matt Sray. And I'm here on a Sunday after church. I'm cleaning up. I'd had a few conversations, gathering my little stack of high cards in the back, getting ready to go. I put my coat on, got my bag, and I was heading out the door. And then I noticed there were two women sitting right over here. And this was 45 minutes after service had ended. Everyone else was gone. And I noticed, like, they weren't turned in talking to each other intently. They were just sitting there. And I thought, maybe they're waiting for someone. Maybe they want to talk to a pastor. Maybe I should go see what's going on. So I came around, and I noticed one of the women I knew. Her name is Jihei. The other woman I didn't know, and she was crying. And her name is Juhyun. And so I asked, like, oh, are you guys okay? What's going on? And Jihei told me, I just shared the story of Jesus with my friend. And she's crying. <laughs> and so I asked her the same question that I asked Srey. Juhyun, can you tell me why you're crying? Are these happy tears, sad tears? What's going on? Same exact answer. I don't know. I don't know why I'm crying. So I repeated this same conversation. I think I know why you're crying. I think this is the Holy Spirit encountering you, reaching out to you. And the question is, do you want to know him? And she said, yes, I want to know him. And so right there in the pew, we prayed a prayer of openness. Juhyun told God, if you're real, I want to know you. Would you show yourself to me? And that was in December. In the last several weeks, Juhyun has been seeking God persistently. We've been meeting, the three of us, Jihei, Juhyun, and I, have been meeting on Fridays to study the Bible to help Juhyun figure out, who are you, God? Are you real? Who is Jesus? She has been seeking God diligently. So what I love about these stories, not just that they're so similar, which I think is so awesome, but they are stories about a God who wants to be known and who initiates with his people. And they're stories about people who want to know God, that they begin to seek him and look for him until they find him. So today, I want to talk about seeking and finding a God who wants to be known. Today marks the beginning of a two-week time in the life of our community where we're setting aside time to seek God together as a community, to fast and to pray. We're calling it First Seek, and I'm going to talk a lot more about that at the end. But the, we wanted these two weeks, last week and this week, to kind of set up this time together. And so last week, Greg preached on fasting. If you weren't here, we put that sermon up online. I really would encourage you to listen to that sermon, especially if you're thinking about fasting during this time. It was excellent, not just because he's my husband and I think everything he does is excellent, but um, so fasting, we talked about fasting last week, and this week I want to talk about seeking God. And both of these, these two weeks are trying to set up this two-week time coming up. And I want to be clear up front about when I talk about seeking God. So those two stories that I told, those are stories of people who didn't know God beginning to seek God for the first time. But this message about seeking God applies to all of us. We are never done seeking God. Pastor Andrew and I were talking about this message earlier in the week, and Andrew said, your message is really for two groups of people. It's for seekers. It's for people who don't know God and are beginning to look for him and are going to be invited to look for him more. And it's for seekers. It's for people who do know God and are going to be invited to look for more of him. And know him better. This message is for seekers and seekers. This message is for all of us. We're never done seeking God. So the scripture that Lonnie read for us from Matthew, the story of the Magi, this passage is being read and preached on in churches all over the world today. 
Today is Epiphany Sunday, which is when we traditionally celebrate the visit of the Magi. In the church calendar, we celebrate Christmas for 12 days. My Christmas tree is still up, and that's like beyond 12 days. But I nev- we never take it down, but at least before those 12 days are done. We celebrate Christmas for 12 days. Then we enter the season of Epiphany, which is when we celebrate the light that came into the world in Jesus, now going forth into the world, into the nations. And in this first Sunday of Epiphany, when we read about the Magi coming, we're celebrating these Gentile astrologers, and I'll talk a little bit more about who they are, coming to worship the king, this light going forth to all the nations. And so Epiphany is a season of light, of mission, and of God revealing himself not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. That is what Epiphany is about. But what I want to focus on today in the story of the Magi is the Magi as seekers. The Magi as people who are seeking God. Because just like the stories I told this morning, this story from Matthew is a story of a God who wants to be known and people who want to know God, that they seek him until they find him. So just a little bit of background on this story. This is one of those stories that has been added to by church tradition and in some ways has been appropriated by kind of cultural religious folklore, okay? So a lot of what comes to mind when we think about the story of the three kings actually isn't in Matthew's gospel. So I might, some of you know this already. Others of you, these things might kind of blow your mind a little bit. So first, Matthew never says three, He doesn't say there were three magi. That's something that was added in the third century, presumably because there are three gifts, and so they're assigning one magi or one magus per gift. But that's not actually in the story. We don't know. Maybe there were three. Maybe there were 10. Maybe there were 50. Matthew never says three. Second, Matthew never says kings. That was something that was added in the sixth century. Nobody really knows who the magi were. But the best guess is that they were astrologers, they studied the stars, and that they might have been Zoroastrians, which is an ancient monotheistic religion, and that they were probably from Persia or Babylon or Arabia. Definitely not Jewish, definitely Gentiles. So Matthew never says three, never says kings, and then this is the one that really messes with us. Some of you again know this, but Matthew never says stable. He never says manger. He never says that they were there in the way like nativity scenes, it's like a big party in the stable. The shepherds are there, Mary and Joseph, the donkey, and the three kings. That's actually probably not true. If we read what Matthew says, the Magi come to visit the child at the house. If the star appeared when Jesus was born and they left Persia or Arabia or Babylon, it probably took them about two years to get there. They're visiting toddler Jesus in a house in Bethlehem. And that's like totally different from what we imagine. But that is probably what is the most likely scenario. So that's a little bit of background on who these people are. What can we learn from the Magi about what it means to seek God? The first thing we learn is that God wants to be known. God wants to be known. In this passage, God puts a star in the sky to announce his birth in Bethlehem. Think about who is that star for? That's not, that star is not for the Jews. That star is for people who speak star. 
That star is for people who are going to look up in the sky and see something and say, hey, I know what that means. God is trying to get the attention of these Gentile Zoroastrian astrologers. That's who that star is for. This is God initiating with humanity because he wants to be known. This is God speaking the language of people who otherwise might not be able to know about him. God wants to be known. He's beckoning them to come and look for him and find him and meet him face to face. It's kind of like when there's an event and they put on the searchlights, you know, and kind of put them up in the sky. And I don't really know, like, how well that works, how many people go and, like, when you see a searchlight go and try to find. My dad does that. So growing up, whenever we'd see searchlights, ooh, we got to go figure out what, what they're about. And so we'd go and, like, take turns and try to find where the searchlights are coming from. And I distinctly remember one time going on this adventure, we're all rolling our eyes, Dad, where are we going? You know, we're traveling into Springfield, Mass., and they lead us to a car dealership having some kind of a sale. Like, wow, really exciting. But that's kind of the idea of this star. It's like a searchlight pointing to the Messiah is born, and he is not just for the Jews. He's for the whole world. It works for Zoroastrian Gentile astrologers, this star. They see the star, and they come to find Jesus. And Matthew includes this story in his gospel for a very particular, important reason. Matthew is the only gospel writer to include this story. And Matthew is the most Jewish of all the gospels. His audience was largely Jewish Christians. And so his message to his readers is the Messiah isn't just for the Jews. The Messiah, this is the Savior of the world, demonstrated by the fact that This star is beckoning these Gentile astrologers to come and bow in joy and worship the king. That's why this story is in Matthew's gospel. This is a God who wants to be known, not just by the Jews, but by the whole entire world. This is a God who puts stars in the sky. This is a God who gives Sray's friend a dream, like any way he can to get to this woman. This is a God who allows Srey and Juhyun to encounter his love before they even understand what that means. This is a God who has been pursuing you in some way. I don't care who you are or what you think about God. You might think I'm crazy for what I'm about to say, but I believe that God has been pursuing you like that your whole life. Some of you recognize that and respond, and some of you have not recognized that, but I believe that God is trying to get your attention, that he's pursuing you, that he's trying to speak your language because he wants to be known. That's what I believe. This is a God who wants to be known. So if God wants to be known, if I'm standing up here so confidently telling you God wants to be known, why is it that sometimes we have the opposite experience? We feel like God is distant. How many times have you heard someone say, why doesn't God just give me a neon sign? How many times have we wondered, why doesn't God just like show up, like improve himself with fire and chariots and lightning bolts? Why doesn't he do that? Why, if God wants to be known, do we sometimes feel like he's hard to find or distant? Humans were designed for intimacy with God, for complete and perfect intimacy with God, Genesis 1 and 2. Can you imagine what it would be like 
to never question God's existence, to never have any doubts, to have a running dialogue in your mind with the mind of God. You would know his, his thoughts. He would know yours. Intimacy with God that is perfect. That's what we were made for. But Genesis chapter 3, humans rejected that. We rebelled against God and we were separated from God at the fall. And so there's this distance that has come between God and humanity. And on this side of eternity, because of our fallenness, there is a way that if God were to reveal the full like blaze of his glory, it would crush us. The weight of his glory in our fallenness, we can't actually handle the full weight of God's glory. And so there is a sense that God's glory is somewhat veiled from our eyes. Most of the time, sometimes, that, that his glory is veiled. But that doesn't mean that God has stopped wanting that intimacy with us. And it doesn't mean that it is not possible we're the ones who put the distance between us and God. And the entire rest of the story from Genesis 3 until today has been a story of a God who has been pursuing us and bridging that gap and revealing himself in ways that don't crush us, in ways that we can understand in the scriptures, in the person of Jesus who reveals the fullness of God's glory in human form. God has never stopped pursuing us. We put distance there God has been reaching out to us because God wants us to know him so badly. God wants intimacy with us far more than we want intimacy with him. And so, if we feel like God is distant, if we feel like God is hiding from us in any way, we need to know God is not hiding as someone who wants to keep himself from us. He's hiding as one who wants to be found. Meister Eckhart, who is a 13th century theologian, said, God is like a person who clears his throat while hiding and so gives himself away. I love that idea. So, for example, God came to earth as a human in relative obscurity. He veiled his heavenly glory in infant human flesh and was born in a barn in a backwater town. You could say that he was kind of hiding. And yet he put a star in the sky to beckon the nations to him, pointing to his hidden arrival. If he's hiding in any way, he's hiding as one who wants to be found. It's kind of like the way my kids play hide and seek with me. So every night we have this little routine. Greg reads the boys a story down in their bedroom. I clean the dishes, tidy up from dinner. When they're done, Greg calls to me, we're ready for you, and I come downstairs, same thing every night. Where are the boys? Ooh, I don't know. Hmm, maybe I should just sit on this bed and wait for them. Ooh, this bed is kind of lumpy. And they're like, they're hiding under the covers in Silas's bottom bunk bed, giggling and like waiting for me to get closer and closer till I rip the covers off and I hug them. And they do it every single night. They don't hide in a new spot. They're not hiding to, yeah, they're not trying to like get away from me. They're hiding because they want that joy of me finding them and coming close to them and wrapping them up in a hug. That, if, if God hides, that's how he hides. This quote, I love this. 
God disguises himself, hiding in a manger, his majesty veiled upon a cross, so that we might irresistibly be drawn to a grace far closer than we ever imagined. God is beckoning us to look for him, to seek him, to come closer and closer and closer, to find him in intimacy. That is what God wants. He wants to be known, and you need to know that. And so I want to go out on a limb here, and I want to say something that I'm fully aware might offend you, some of you. And so I want to apologize up front, and if you're really offended, you can come talk to me in the back afterwards. Um, so if we are struggling to find God, if we feel like God is distant, either in general or in a given situation, have we ever stopped to ask ourselves, in what ways have I actually been looking for God? It's not the only scenario that would make God hard to find. So if you're here and you've re- you know that you've been looking and looking and looking for God and you can't find him, I'd love to talk to you. I'm sure Pastor Andrew would love to talk to you. There may be something else going on. But some of us, let's be honest, one of the things that would make God hard to find is not looking for him, right? Like some of us, that rings true. I feel distant from God, but I'm the one who hasn't looked. Have we looked for God? There's a real difference between knowing things about God, between doing things for God, and seeking and looking and searching for God. For example, coming to church. That is something that you can do to seek God. Some of you here are here because you're seeking God. It's also something you can do just because it's Sunday. And you can come and you're not actually looking for God at all. Are we seeking God? And in what ways are we seeking God? And can we be honest with ourselves about that? Are you seeking God? In what ways are you looking for him? Or do you just know about him, like him, do things for him? It's really different. I find it really interesting that Christians love to call curious non-Christians seekers. And I think that our language betrays us a little bit there. But what I think is actually true is seekers sometimes, they seek God with more determination and persistence than many of us who claim to know and love him. Seekers are really good at seeking God. Christians sometimes aren't that good at seeking him. Are we seeking God? And how would anyone else know it? So I want to suggest if we are struggling, and I'm going to put myself in this category, like if we're struggling to experience God somewhere, if we feel like God is distant, if we're bemoaning the fact like where's my neon sign, If our relationship with God hasn't changed in the past year, or five, or ten, if we haven't learned anything new about God since we were kids, I want to suggest that is the first step is to honestly ask ourselves, in what ways have I been looking for God? Am I actually seeking him? Is this reflected in the way I spend my time? Would other people who look at my life say, yeah, you're seeking God, Or would they see something else? I think it's really obvious when you see something else. You're seeking fame. You're seeking attention. You're seeking comfort. Would someone look at me and say, she's seeking God? I'm a pastor. People know I like God. Am I seeking God? And do people who look at me, would my husband know that about me, who knows how I spend my time? Am I someone who's seeking God? 
I think another way to frame that question is, do I really want to know this God who wants to be known? So the first thing we learn about God from this story of the Magi is that God wants to be known. The second thing we learn is that God wants to be known, but our intentionality matters. We need to seek God in order to fully find him. So God put the star in the sky. He beckoned to the Magi. He wanted them to come. And yet, how did, he, how did that arrangement happen? They got on a camel, and they traveled two years to Bethlehem. They had to do something. They had to make a decision to seek And it wasn't just like a run-of-the-mill decision. That was costly. That was two years of their life. They left their home. They left their country. Maybe they left their family. We don't really know. But that was was an intentional decision that you could see and measure. They were seeking God. They didn't know exactly what they were going to find, but they were seeking him. Our intentionality matters. God initiates with us, but we're invited to respond by seeking No one here, none of the pastors, none of the leaders, no one here is going to force you to seek God. And God's not going to force you to seek him either. You don't have to seek God. And the reality is, and again, I'm going to put myself right here in this category. I'm preaching to myself this morning. The reality is many of us are pretty content with our level of knowledge of God and our level of intimacy with God. We don't want to seek God. We don't want to know more. We don't want him to get any closer. We're content. And here's what I want to suggest to us this morning. Spiritual contentment, I think, is a dressed-up variant of spiritual apathy. Both of those things lead us to inaction. Contentment and apathy, they both lead us to do nothing. Why would we look for more if we feel like we have enough? Why would we seek if there's nothing more that we want or nothing more that we need? Spiritual contentment shuts down our seeking faster than anything else. Spiritual contentment is kind of like a seeker's kryptonite. It just shuts us down. When we don't want anything else from God, we stop looking. It shuts us down. I don't really know what the opposite of kryptonite is. Greg was trying to tell me it's something about the sun, which I didn't totally understand. But I was imagining maybe Superman drinks a power smoothie every day, and that's where he gets his power. So if I were making a power smoothie for a seeker, here's the things I would put in there. Longing, desperation, holy discontent, a desire for change, hunger, a desire for more of God. That's what would go in a power smoothie for a seeker. A desire for more of God, that's really the crux for me of the spiritual contentment issue. Because spiritual contentment and a desire for more of God, those things are opposites. And to show you what I mean by that, let's flip it around and give it a different example. So um, when we have typically in our life, when we have an insatiable desire for something, usually it's not really a good thing. So... Let's say I have an insatiable desire for food. And I just wish, oh, I wish I could just be more content with three square meals, right? In that sense, contentment is the antidote or the cure for my desire. And spiritually, that works the same way. 
It's the thing that keeps us from filling ourselves with more of God if we feel content with what we already have. Spiritual contentment is the seeker's kryptonite. It keeps us from filling ourselves and desiring more of God. And more often than not, so I'm going to keep, I'm just going to keep going there if that's okay. Um, more often than not, I think our contentment with our relationship with God comes not from our enjoyment of God. Like that's fine. Enjoy God. Be content in that way. But I think what we what our contentment comes from is we get content with the arrangements we've worked out with God in our relationship with God. So what I mean, God, you can hang out with me during these times. I'm going to do these things for you, and we don't talk about this. And that works for me, and I'm content with that arrangement. So I go to church. Maybe I try to read my Bible and that stacks up so well on the scales on this side that I feel entitled to like keep these things for myself. We don't talk about my alcohol consumption. We don't talk about my relational patterns. There's things that I keep to myself because I've kind of stacked the scales with all this other activity. So we get content with that because it works for us. We're content with that arrangement and that keeps us from wanting more. We're actually more interested in control and in freedom than we are in real intimacy. I know this is kind of intense, but again, I'm preaching to myself. We, we become more interested in control and in freedom than in actual intimacy with God. We don't want to be tied down. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We would like to maintain control of our own lives. And so if we're honest, we don't actually want God to come any closer. We don't want to seek him anymore because he might start wanting to get at some of this stuff that I don't want him to have. We're so aware of what we are trading. Like, we're so aware of what it would cost us to seek God more that we rarely stop to notice what we're trading by not seeking him more. We're so aware of the cost, like he might come after these things, that we don't stop to notice what we're trading. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about what we're saying no to when we stop seeking God. So God wants to be known, but our intentionality matters, meaning God responds to our desire to know him. So the more we seek him, the more of himself he reveals the more we want him, the more of himself he gives. Matthew 7, 7 to 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There are some things we don't have because we haven't asked God for them, including more intimacy with God. One of my favorite verses that we'll put up on the screen, Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14 this is a promise to Israel. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God promises to be found when? When we seek him. And how? When we seek him with all our heart. The more we seek him, the more of himself he reveals. So just that sounds like really kind of out there. I want to give you a super nitty-gritty, practical, tangible example. Ju Hyun that I was telling you about who's I prayed with in the pew. 
A couple weeks later, she came in. We're studying scripture together. And she told me, you know, I've been reading the Bible on my own at home. And Sarah, this is crazy. This is really weird. But I had tried to read the Bible before, earlier in my life, and I didn't understand it. It was boring. I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. But now when I read the Bible, it's like I can imagine it in my mind. I understand it. It's exciting. I want to read it. Isn't that weird? And I was like, no, it's not weird. It's awesome. It's exciting. But it makes perfect sense because you told God in the pew, I want to know you, God. Will you show yourself to me? And he's answering that. The more we want to know, the more God reveals. God opened Ju Hyun's eyes to understand the scriptures because she asked for that. The more we seek him, the more we find him. The more we want him, the more he gives. And so back to that trade-off. What are we trading when we stop seeking God? We might have lots of reasons. We don't want to seek him. We don't want him to come any closer. But what are we trading there? What we're trading is the intimacy we were designed for. We are so content with our arranged little spiritual life. I do these things for God. I get to keep these things. We're so fine with that. We don't even know if there's, that there's anything better. We've never stopped to ask. We've never stopped to look for it. We get confused and frustrated that God is distant, but we've traded that intimacy for control. We've traded something that could be better, and we haven't even asked. We don't know what's possible. It's kind of like me drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee, no offense to Dunkin' Donuts people, for 10 years very contentedly before I met Greg, who introduced me to real coffee. I just, I didn't know there was anything else out there. I never looked for anything better. I just accepted my fate as a cream and sugar Dunkin' Donuts New England girl. That's like what I was. And then Greg introduced me to something else. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea coffee could be this good. It's like that with God. We're content with this arranged spiritual life that is so boring. And there is like intimacy out there and we're trading that. But when we say like, I'm done. I found him. I've got what I want. I'm done. I'm not going to seek him anymore. There's more. And we don't even know it. But all we have to do is ask for it. All we have to do is want it. There's more to God than you know today. And I can say that confidently. I don't care. I don't know who you are. There is more to God than what you know of him today. That applies to you, to those of you in the room who really think I'm crazy. And I'm sorry. If you're here and you're new and you're just exploring, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. There's more to God than what you know of him. That applies to those of you who are seeking him, who are on a journey and haven't given your lives to him. There's more than what you know today. And that applies to those of you who have known God your whole life. There is more to God than what you know of him today. And the question is, how bad do you want that? What are you going to do to get that? What are you going to seek him? What are you going to do to seek him? Are you going to get your camels and travel for two years to follow a star? Are you going to go to a, a retreat that you know nothing about? Are you going to grab your friend and a pastor and study the scripture every week to find him? What are you going to do? Are you going to wake up early to pray? What are you going to do to find God? How bad do you want him? What are you going to do to find him? God wants to be known and he reaches out and initiates with us. And if we want to know him, we need to respond by seeking. But if we respond by seeking, he promises to be found.
So I want to close with some encouragement for us and then some really practical steps for these next two weeks that are coming up. So first, some encouragement. Hyun, I asked her about a week ago if I could share her story today as a, just an illustration of what it means to seek God. And on Friday, she and Jihei and I met, as usual, on Friday, and she was describing to us how much she, in the last month or so, had learned about God, but then how much more she wanted to know. But she agreed there were some things that she couldn't learn or know about God without surrendering her life to him. And so, largely out of a desire to know God more, on Friday, Hyun gave her life to Jesus. Yeah. And I feel like the timing of that and her willingness to let me share that story is an encouragement to us because it shows us God wants to be known. He initiates with people, and when they start to seek him, he reveals more of himself, and he will be found. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. So then lastly, um, what do we do next? What do we do next? What do we do with this message? Well, we are in luck because we are starting a two-week season, a little time set aside as a church community to seek God, to pray and to fast and to seek God. The slide behind me has the uh, website information. That site has a lot more information. I encourage you to go there, read like why we're doing this. There's really practical things on there. But basically the gist is for the next two weeks, we are encouraging everyone in our community to set aside some extra time to fast, to pray, and to seek God. And so just really quick, fasting. That's a, it's a thing that people have done for centuries and centuries when they want to experience more of God and to seek God and see breakthrough. Again, if you, hadn't, if you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you to listen to Greg's sermon because it explains what fasting is. And we'll put that out on email and social media. So listen to Greg's sermon. And there's some suggestions on the website for different types of fasts that you could try over the next two weeks. Fasting with a specific purpose, to praying for different things. So fasting, prayer. Um, we want to encourage you to set aside some specific and intentional time to pray. On the website, and again, being sent out over social media over the next two weeks, every day of the next two weeks is going to have a prayer focus, something that we're asking everyone in the community to pray for today. And so in the time that you're setting aside, we're asking you to pray with us in one voice as a community. And then lastly, just seeking God. And again, that sounds kind of vague, so I want to give you some specifics about how could we seek God in the next two weeks together? First thing is, last week, Greg talked about breakthrough. He talked about identifying areas in your life where you want the status quo to change. And so I really want to encourage you as we're seeking God to, to think of like one or two areas and write them down. You can do it now or during communion. What are one or two things in my life that I need to see breakthrough and I want to I want to seek God for breakthrough. I want to pray. I want to fast for breakthrough. So that's the first thing, first category. Second, I talked about contentment today being a bad thing. There's ways that contentment can be good. But what are the one to two areas in your life with God where you're all set? You are content. 
You don't want more. You're like fine with this. And would you name those and actually pray that God would increase your hunger and your discontent with that to help you to long for more? Maybe it's like when I read the Bible, it's boring. But I'm okay with that. The Bible is boring. No, like be discontent with that. Ask God to give you a hunger and an enjoyment of of the word, like things like that. Where are you just kind of fine in your relationship with God and you want intimacy, you want joy, you want more. So name those things and pray for them. Fasting is a great way to get at our spiritual contentment because it actually unearths things that we use to mask our spiritual hunger. And so as you fast, God may show you, oh man, you are spiritually hungry, but you can't tell because you're filling it with this. And when you strip that thing away, what's left is hunger. And that's good. And go there and ask God to make that true even when you stop fasting. So let's get at that contentment together. And then lastly, what else do you need to do personally What do you need to commit to to be a person whose life is the life of a seeker? What is something over the next two weeks that you could do? So maybe it's a commitment to a daily spiritual practice. Maybe I'm just going to pray or worship with no, no purpose other than meeting with God and knowing him. I'm not going to pray for all my laundry list of things. I'm just going to sit in his presence and ask him for more. Maybe that's something you want to add. Maybe it's getting together with a friend over the next two weeks to pray together. Maybe it's something else. Maybe for those of you who are here who don't know God, this two weeks is a time for you to say, like Ju Hyun did and like Sre did, God, I want to know you, and if you're real, would you show yourself to me in these two weeks? And I'm going to pray every day that you would do that. And actually, I want to commit to you, if that's you, I want to fast for you. So if you are here and you want to know God and you want to set this time aside like God I want to know you and I want you to reveal yourself to me I would love to pray for you over the next two weeks so please um, talk to me afterwards how bad do we want to know God and what are we going to do to find him God is a God who wants to be known and when we seek him he promises to be found So at this point, we have the opportunity to respond by coming to the communion table. At the table, we not only remember Jesus' death on the cross and the sacrifice that God made to know us and to be known by us, but we also experience in communion the intimacy and union with God that Jesus' death made possible. At the table, we celebrate Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for us, which is the greatest act of love the world has ever known. This is God initiating with humanity. We're invited to respond in love and in commitment to Jesus. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up and receive up. The communion servers are welcome to come up at this point. We're going to form two lines down the center aisle. And um, if you are in a place where you'd like to receive prayer this morning, something has touched you, there will be folks over in this corner who are ready to pray with you. If you are here this morning and you don't know God, 
But today you want to seek him. You want to find him. If you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to line up in this line and go receive prayer. The table is open to all those who know Jesus as Lord. And again, if you don't, all you have to do is say yes this morning. I'm going to pray for us and then I will invite you to